Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make sure that you are aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. The message you are about to watch is week five. Today, we're tackling the topic of the picture God gave us and asking the question, how did God reveal his plan? If you've missed any messages in this series, we encourage you to go back and listen to the messages that you've missed. Once again, thanks for checking out this message here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions that you have or any way that we can come alongside of you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, Hope Church. My name is Scott. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. I'm honored to be with you here this morning. We're going to jump right in. And uh, in the fall of 2004, I uh, entered my very first college class, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, it was Business 101. I was a business major because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So you go to be a business major. Um, Went to UNLV and I walk into Business 101 and I don't remember a whole lot about my college classes. But one concept stood out to me from Business 101 and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, but we've all been affected by it. And it's this concept in business. It's called brand strategy. It's a concept. Basically, this is the concept of how to make your business, your, your company stick in the minds of consumers through jingles or commercials or branding, what, how to make you, the consumers know who you are. And some people have even done such a great job with this concept that they actually just have a symbol or a picture that we automatically know what company that is. So I brought some examples to get this idea on the table for us here this morning. And I'm just going to play just a little pop quiz today. I'm just going to flip these boards around. And I want you, if you know what uh, company this is, just to, to say the name of the company. Well, these are real bottom shelf. Everyone will get these. <laughs> Here's the first one. This is, again, these are brand strategies that are so good that you don't even need words or any, any slogans or anything. It's just a picture. Here is the first one. Nike, right? Global company, and these people just have a check mark, and everybody in the world knows. I've been to Thailand. They know about this symbol. Everybody knows that's Nike. Okay, here's the first, or the second one. Humble opinion, the best technological company out there. If you see that on the back of a phone or a computer, you know it's just an apple with a little bite out of it, and that is Apple Computers based out of California. It's a global company with just an apple. Here's the third one for our shopaholics. Target. Next time you see a Target commercial, just look at the end. It's going to be a completely white screen in that picture. That's all it is. They, you know that is Target. And because I'm the one on stage with the microphone, I had a little fun with this last one. I'm going to go ahead and prophesy right now. This is next year's Super Bowl champion. Let's go, people. Let's go. Claiming it in the name of Jesus. What are those? Those are pictures. Those are pictures that point. They're not pictures in and of themselves. They point to something. You know as soon as you see the picture, it points to something of significance. That's the point of that illustration. And if you've been here, we've been in a series right now called Pages. 
the story of God's love through the Bible. We've been taking this book, God's Word, and we've been showing, hopefully, to you as our church, through the pages of this scripture, we see God's redemptive plan. We see a story playing out. A lot of times, a lot of people don't know what's going on in the first 39 books. In the last 27, the New Testament, we got that. But what on earth is going on in the first 39 books? What is this story? And we've been in this series pages, hopefully connecting the dots for you. We started off by saying that everything exists. Everything exists for God's glory. He is the main character of the story. We started this series off, that's a very important concept. We understand that everything exists for the glory and honor of Jesus. And we talked about creation, talked about how God created everything we see. Bible says that God created human beings, all of us, in his image. That's an amazing, beautiful truth from God's word. That you are made, no matter what you have been through, no matter what you walk through, you are made in the image of God. And then the story took a dark turn a couple weeks ago when we looked at how sin entered the world. The serpent tempted Adam and Eve, and sin entered the universe, entered the cosmos. It wreaked havoc in that garden, and it wreaks havoc in our lives today. Sin entered the story. But we serve a redeeming God. Last week, Pastor Tom taught us about a very significant moment when God chose a man named Abraham and he promised him that he was going to fix it. He was going to make this right. And he did. He promised to send Jesus and he has fulfilled that promise. So our role today is we are going to see that God is constantly revealing and reminding his people of his promise. If you got that bookmark we gave you, I think they're available at the Resource Center if you didn't grab one. We gave it to you uh, multiple weeks ago. Uh, it's a bookmark that just gives you the breakdown of everything we're gonna talk through in this series. And this week, the name of this message is The Pictures. How did God reveal his plan? How was God revealing his plan? So as we begin this morning, I wanna give you the big idea of where we're headed in the next few minutes, and then we will continue. Here's the big idea for today. Through the Old Testament, God gave us pictures that point to the Savior who fulfilled God's promise. Through the Old Testament, we're going to see a few examples today. God gave us pictures that point to the Savior who fulfilled God's promise. We've been saying it on repeat, but in case you missed the theme, this entire book is about the redeeming love of Jesus. This entire book is about how God is getting his people back. That is what the Bible is about. The, the, the subtitle of this series is the story of God's love through the Bible. Well, God's love has a name and his name is Jesus. The story of Jesus through the Bible, it's about him. And that's where we're gonna pick up. We're gonna see a few examples today of how God shows us pictures that point directly to Christ. So very simply, I wanna ask and answer three questions with you here this morning. Here's the first question we're gonna ask and answer. What are biblical pictures? Elementary, I know, but what are these biblical? You're looking at your Bible and you're going, he's saying there's pictures. I don't see any pictures. What are these biblical pictures? The theological term we are discussing today is this issue of typology or type. I did a, a little survey around our staff, and not a lot of people know what that means. Typology. What does it mean that, that there's stuff in the Old Testament that is a type of something in the New Testament or a picture? So just to get us all on the same page, I want to give us a definition of what we're talking about here this morning. A type <clears throat> is a person or thing in the Old Testament which foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. 
That's boiled down as simple as possible. A type or a picture that we, a biblical picture like we're gonna discuss today is something or a person or thing in the Old Testament which points to a person or thing in the New Testament. For our time together today, we are gonna specifically look at pictures that point to Jesus. And I wanna give, just to start us off, I wanna give a bird's eye view of two pictures that we see in the Old Testament. But I encourage you, we are not jumping, diving deep into these passages. I encourage you to write these passages down and sometime in your God time this week, look at these pictures. See Christ beautifully in these pictures, in these passages. The, the first one is in Genesis chapter three. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write down Genesis chapter three. Look for Jesus this week in your God time. But I'll catch you up and give you a quick recap. The fall of mankind just happened. Sin has entered the world. Pastor Vance talked in depth about that a few weeks ago. Sin has entered the world and it wreaked havoc on everything. And in that moment, Adam and Eve disobey God. And in that moment, God comes and he declares to all of us and to Adam and Eve and to the serpent that he was going to make it right. He said that, that, that there was going to be someone that would come and bruise the serpent's head. He would defeat this. And then... What happens in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3 is beautiful, and it's a picture. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Say, that doesn't sound like a great like memory verse. Tell us why that. Listen, that is a picture of our life in Christ. In that moment, God could have said, I'm done with you. You messed up. I'm out. But he comes and he redeems and he slays an animal in the garden. And with that animal's skin, he covers Adam and Eve in their shame, in their sin. He covers their nakedness. That is a picture of our life in Christ. That is a small picture that points directly to Jesus. That in our sin, in our shame, he was slain. And with his body, he covers us in our shame. Amen. It's a picture. Another picture we have is in Exodus chapter 12. This is a beautiful story. All the book of Exodus, what a beautiful story of God redeeming his people. But specifically in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites were slaves in the land of Egypt. And God has led Moses to tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that he is going to let his people go. That they're done being slaves. He is going to lead his people out of Egypt. And Pharaoh wasn't having it. He said, no, you're not. I'm the boss. You're staying here. And God says, no, I'm the boss. I'm going to put 10 plagues on your land and you will let my people go. And the 10th plague, the final plague was God was going to destroy the firstborn of every family in Egypt. But God's chosen people, he told them, the Israelites, to kill a spotless, perfect lamb and put its blood on the outside of their houses on a certain night. And it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, look at this verse. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What on earth is this? You read that story out of context. You're going to go, what is going on? They're killing lambs. They're painting with blood. What is happening in this story? This story is a picture. Because the Bible would say there was another spotless, blameless lamb, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible would use this imagery in the New Testament that would show that because of the blood of the lamb, we just sang about it, we are covered. God's and his judgment passes over us in our sin because of the lamb that was slain and his blood that covers us. Again, these are real life situations that had application in the moment, but they were pointing to something much more significant, namely Jesus. So what are these biblical pictures? They are people or things in the Old Testament which point to Jesus in the New Testament. 
Second question today, jump through, why were these pictures given? So what are the biblical pictures and why were these pictures given? Simply put, these pictures were given to reveal and to remind God's people about his coming promise, to, to remind them about the Messiah. See, if we're not careful, we forget that these people didn't have what we have in history. We look on this side of history and we see Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so we understand all the pieces of the puzzle, but these people, all they had was a promise from good old father Abraham. That's all they had. Especially as they grow and Abraham is long gone, right? There was a father, his name was Abraham, and we are clinging to this promise that God gave him. So God continually shows them these glimpses of his promise. He shows them these pictures because they are clinging to the promise. He's showing him glimpses that he is who he says he is. His promise is coming. The book of Hebrews is an amazing New Testament book that points right right back a lot to what goes on in the Old Testament. And right as the book of Hebrews begins in verse one of the first chapter of Hebrews, the Bible says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. He spoke in many portions and in many ways. Well, one of the ways that we see in the Old Testament that God the Father spoke is through pictures, showing them the spotless lamb that was slain, showing them another one that we're gonna dive deep into in Genesis chapter 22 in just a minute. They knew that they were God's chosen people, but they didn't know when the Messiah was going to come. They didn't know what was gonna happen, all that would transpire. See, as the Christians, we have the good news of the gospel that we cling to. They were clinging to the promise that God gave Abraham. And every single picture was revealing more and more, this is a God we can trust. This lamb that we're gonna slay, this this blood that we're gonna put on doorposts, God is providing, he's passing over us. He was painting them a picture of his promise. So why were they given? Simply, they were given to show and reveal and to remind God's people that he is who he says he is, that his promise is coming. Thirdly, and we're gonna spend most of our time here this morning, What is an example of one of these pictures? What is an example of one of these pictures that applies to our life today that we can really see this come to fruition in God's word? If you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we're actually gonna read a lot of scripture today. So if you have a Bible, either physically or on your app, I encourage you to open it because we're gonna read the passage and then we're gonna kind of go back and do a running commentary of these verses We're gonna read 14 verses here this morning. Genesis chapter 22, one through 14. So the words will be on the screen if you wanna follow along. Let's read God's word. Genesis chapter 22, verses one through 14. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham, ra- on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. 
He said, behold, the, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to a place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and uh, bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked behind him. Behold, a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Hopefully as we read that passage, you began to see some of these pictures that we're gonna talk about here for our remaining time together. Now obviously we cannot in the next few minutes dive deep into this passage. There's some wonderful, wonderful things in this passage of God's word. But we are going to, for the sake of our time today, I want us to see this story in light of the significance that points to Jesus. How this points, how this is a picture of the promised Savior. So we'll start in verse 1 and we're just going to kind of do a running commentary of this passage. It starts in verse 1, it says, after these things. Now, if you've been following along in our reading plan we provided, a whole lot of stuff has happened between Tom's week last week and the promise and where we are today with Isaac. A whole lot has happened. If you thought your family is weird because you're not a perfect Bible family, you just need to look at the family of Abraham. This is a jacked up family tree. We don't have time to go into it, but there's adultery and there's sons being born and there's stuff going on all in a few chapters of our, our Bible. But eventually... The point of our time today is God comes through on his promise and he gives Sarah and Abraham the promised son and his name is Isaac. And it says, God tested Abraham. Now, if you're like me, first time I ever read that, I thought, what's up with that? What's up with what God tested Abraham? What does that mean? This is the first time that this word is actually translated test in the Bible. Usually, this word is translated to prove. Well, what does that mean? Again, when we read the scripture, we always have to understand who our God is when we read the scripture. We don't go blindly to the scriptures. We understand who our God is when we read the scriptures. We have to understand this is not a passage that has God on the fence going, I wonder if Abraham will do what I think he's going to do. This isn't a cosmic job interview where God's going, I hope Isaac's my guy. I hope Abraham, I'm sorry, is my guy. I hope he's the guy that I think he is, and I'm gonna put him to the test to see if he'll make it. See, that would put God in the passenger seat. What we have to remember about our God is he is never in the passenger seat. He is always in the driver's seat. He is the captain. He is the sovereign king of the universe. So when it says he tested him, I read an amazing commentary this week that beautifully illustrated this. He said, when a skilled engineer builds a building, he puts it through rigorous inspections and tests, not to see if his work will hold. He's a skilled engineer. He knows what he's doing. It's not to see if it will withstand the pressure. He knows. But it's to show the city officials and the doubters around the neighborhood that his handiwork is stable. The work the engineer has done is secure. This is not God putting Abraham out there. Go get him, buddy. I hope you do great. 
This was a sovereign engineer knowing his work in Abraham's life, knowing he was at work to give us a picture in this situation. And he knew that now for the pages of scripture for all of eternity, we have a picture of the inspection of a good, skilled engineer putting his child to proof, not to the test. The proof that God's hand was on Abraham. So you don't miss this in your own life. That test you're going through, that trial, that circumstance, those are not allowed by our good God in your life to see if he can trust you. It's not God saying, I hope you do good. See what you'll do with this now that you've been following Jesus for a few years. Let's see how good you do. That is the tests in our life are not to see if God can trust us. The tests in our life, the circumstance in our life, the situations in our life that God allows are for us to see that we can trust God. Those are not just semantics. Those are completely different things. That is a awesome, good, loving father allowing things in our lives so that we understand he has us. Amen. Story goes on and he says, take your son whom you love and offer him up as a burnt offering. And it says that Abraham gets up early the next morning, he grabs a couple servants and he goes to do this. Now let that sink in. Again, I think sometimes we read the Bible a little sterile if we know what's coming. This is no small thing. God approaches an old man and his wife who've never had kids before, and he says, I'm going to make a chosen nation out of you. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to right the wrong of sin through your family, and I want to let you know that I am promising you something. And they're like, I don't understand this. And a lot of human hurdles and things go on in the story, but God comes through on his promise because he's faithful. Finally, the promised son, thank you, Jesus. And then he says, you know what? Offer him up. We read the Bible sometimes a little too coldly. I have two sons, an eight-year-old son named Bryce and a four-year-old son named Blaine. This is crazy. Am I right, dads? This is crazy. This is the promised son, God. Why? Honestly, it makes no sense. You read this passage as a father. I don't understand this. It makes no sense unless God is up to something greater, unless he is setting up the story to point to a beautiful picture of who we can be and are in Christ, unless he is in control. He says, take your son whom you love, Isaac. This is actually the first time we read the word love in God's word. How fitting that the word love was not first used to describe Adam and Eve in the garden. The word love was not actually even meant for us and our relationship with God or his relationship with us. The first time the Bible uses the word love is to describe a father's love to his son whom he was offering as a sacrifice. And so it is with our heavenly father who many years later would offer his son whom he loved as the ultimate sacrifice. I had a moment this week, I don't know if you've had little moments of praise in your life where you just go, wow, God, you're good. I can't explain it, you're good. This week I was studying this passage and when I was studying this part, I thought, man, God is so good. I've, I've heard this story, but I didn't see the depth of this picture. The first time, check this out, the first time the word love is used in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter three, verses 17. Some of you know the story, but Jesus is getting baptized and as he comes out of the water, the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and out of heaven, the loving father says, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. 
In Mark and in Luke, the, the other two books, the, the next books in the New Testament, that same passage is the first time the word love is used. What's the point? This story points directly to the Father's love and the sacrifice he would make of Jesus for our sin in our place. That is this story. It's a picture of, of, of the Father's love to us. Abraham tells his servants in verse 5 as we continue in the story. He says, stay here with the donkey. And then check out verse 5. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Worship. Listen, a lot of you guys see me over here every week and I'm leading worship, right? What on earth does this have to do with worship? It's the first time again that we hear this word worship in God's word. And it's in reference to an offering of a promised son. That's huge for us. Worship is not just about what we say or what we sing. Worship is about our heart towards our heavenly father and it is about being dead set on who he is and what he's called us to. That'll change the way we worship. Abraham didn't have a guitar and a stage. The Bible says Abraham had fire and a knife and he says, I'm gonna go worship. Don't miss this. He says, we're gonna go worship and we will return to you. Abraham knew they would both return. He had learned beyond any further question that God's word was true and his promises are sure. So he didn't know how or what was gonna go up on that mountain, but God, I know what you've promised me and you are always faithful. So I'm coming back with this kid. I don't know how you're gonna do it. The book of Hebrews gives us kind of an insight to that in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, this is verse 17, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type or a picture. I believe Abraham was walking up that mountain going, I'm gonna go through with this God, I guess you're just gonna raise him right back to life on that altar because you've promised me, and you're a God of promises, and everything you say is true. And in my God time this morning, I read Romans 4 just randomly, and it talked about Isaac and Abraham. In verse 18 of Romans chapter 4, he says, in hope, this is Abraham, he believed against hope. What does that mean? He knew who God was, and nothing about this makes sense, but I'm walking up that mountain anyways. Because God, you've called me to this. Don't over-spiritualize Abraham. He is a father walking up a mountain with his son, knowing what he's about to do. I can imagine Abraham's father heart. Again, you dads will understand this. Every single step, he's going, what is going on here? God, you promised me through this son, and now you're wanting me to, I don't understand this. I can imagine him saying something like, all I know is that God commanded this. I don't understand it, but I've been walking with him now for 50 years. He has never failed me. He has never asked me to do anything he did not prove to be the best thing. I don't understand this, but I believe if I go through with what God has called me to, he will see me through and his promises will stand because they always do. He told the servants, hang back with the donkey. Me and my son are gonna have a little worship session and I'm gonna come back with him. If I'm honest and transparent this morning, that really challenged my faith this week. What if I started taking God wor God's word like that? 
What if you and I started applying God's word in our lives like that? Listen, I know what you've promised me in Christ, Jesus. I know what, who I am in you. I know what you've done in my life. I'm looking back at faithful years of following you. You always provide. You're always good. You're always true. You're always faithful. And so no matter what mountain I'm walking up right now, I trust you because you're good and you're sovereign and you're faithful. What if we started approaching God like that? No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the diagnosis, no matter what the broken relationship or broken home looks like, I'm looking at years of God's faithfulness and I go, I don't know what is happening with every step up this mountain, God. I'm trusting you because you're good. The picture continues. Abraham takes the wood for the sacrifice and he puts it on Isaac's back, who is no child, by the way. A lot of times we read this passage and it's like my eight-year-old son, Bryce. Scholars, historians say Isaac's probably about 30 years old. 30-year-old grown man, I promise you, is a lot stronger than his dad who's in his hundreds. So he says, uh, Dad, got the wood, got the sacrificial tools. Where's the offering? God gives us a picture, and Abraham says, God will provide the offering. Now think about this. Isaac surely understood this. Think about when Isaac got tucked in at night every night when he was a kid. Think about Abraham and Sarah whispering into little Isaac's ear. Hey, remember, you are a promised son. God, no matter what we face today, God is in control. God is at work. We were totally helpless and hopeless, and he came to us, and he said that he was going to do mighty things through our family. And Isaac, you are the proof that God is at work. His whole life, he heard about God providing, about God coming through on his promises. That was the story of his life. So the Bible says Abraham, or Isaac, willingly takes the wood on his back, trusts his father, and walks up the mountain. Do you see the picture? Many years later, another son would understand the father's heart and willingly bear the wood of a cross on his back to climb a mountain for a sacrifice. Willingly, knowing what he was walking into because he trusted the father's Heart. Isaac is a picture of Christ here who would willingly lay down his life for us who were dead in our sin, helpless and hopeless. God will provide, and he did through Christ. Story goes on. They built the altar. Isaac willingly lays on the altar. And just as Abraham raises his knife to kill his son, again, read that. It's heavy. God intervenes. Abraham hears some commotion in the bushes behind him, and a ram is stuck by its horns. God has provided a way out. We can't miss the picture here. Something was going to die on that mountain. God said, Abraham, get up, go offer a sacrifice. Something was going to die on that mountain. God provided a way of escape so it, wasn't, it wouldn't be Isaac. That's the crux of the story, that the Lord has provided. And we've been saying it week in and week out in this series because that is our only hope, our only plea, that God in Christ today for you has provided. That's the crux of this story. The word gospel is a word we say a lot. Maybe you know what it means, maybe you don't. It simply means good news. Best way I know how to say gospel is Jesus in my place. I deserve to die, but Jesus did in my place. So I can have life, Jesus in my place. That's what it says there in Genesis chapter 22. Again, another picture. It says that he took the ram and he put it in, on the altar in place of his son. 
That's the cross. That is the gospel. In my place for my sin. See, we've minimized sin in our culture. I've minimized sin in my own life. But we have to understand sin is not just a small misfortune. Sin is not a little mistake. The Bible would say that sin is an affront to the glory and an attack of the holiness of God. Sin is a big deal. And just like in Genesis chapter 22, something was going to die on that mountain. On this earth, something will experience ultimate payment for sin. Sin will be taken care of. Many years ago, I read a quote that I remember where I was when I read it. It was just one of those sobering moments by John Piper. He said that sin is either dealt with in hell or on the cross. In our passage today, the Lord provided. It was a picture to show. If you're looking at that like I did when I was a teenager, I was 16 years old, I'd just been to church eight months, I'm just listening to preacher guys talk about sin and hell and redemption and Christ, and I'm looking at that, I said, I don't like that. And somebody looked at me and said, Scott, there's a way out for you. The Lord has provided. The gospel is true. You can have life in Christ. And at 17 years old, I said, I want that. I need that. I understand my sin, and I want that relationship with God. Jesus in my place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God spells it out for us in verse 21. He says, he made him, that's God, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. That's Jesus in my place. So that we might become the righteousness of God. The Old Testament is full of these pictures that point to this truth. Some of you right now, you know, you're where I was when, in, that, in that summer camp auditorium when I was 16 years old. Where you're going, man, I, I wrestle with the things of faith. I wrestle with why I need to, there needs to be payment for my sin. And I would just encourage you and implore you. And the, the Spirit of God is moving in this place. That maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe today, this is a big mountaintop and there's a ram caught in the thicket and his name is Christ and he is in your place today for your sin. He's done it, he's accomplished it and you just have to say yes today. God's at work and he just needs you to say yes to what he's already doing. That could happen for some of you today. In a few minutes, we're gonna stand and sing and there's some pastors up here. Maybe you just need to come and you need to say, I don't understand all that. But I understand this, I need a savior. And the Bible just told us that Jesus has paid that penalty and he can step into that place. He's the only one that can fulfill that. The Old Testament gave us pictures and in light of this, as we finish today, we're actually gonna look at another picture that Jesus gave us. Pastor Jeff mentioned it earlier, but we're gonna celebrate today the Lord's Supper. Before Jesus went to the cross in the New Testament, he gave us a practice to carry out in community as churches to remember and to see as a picture of what he was about to do for us and what he has done for us. It's called the Lord's Supper or communion. And every time we do the Lord's Supper here at Hope, we always like to make sure just by conviction that everyone's on the same page of what it is that we do and why we do it. And so to get us on the same page, I wanna read a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, this is Paul writing to a church in the city of Corinth. He's telling them about the Lord's Supper. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And the same way he took the cup and after supper saying, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In just a minute, we're gonna go to these tables and there's some bread and there's some juice and they represent something. They are a picture of Christ on the cross for our sin. Jesus in my place, Jesus in your place. The bread is a symbol to remind us of the body broken for us. And the cup is a symbol of the blood that he shed. The Bible is very clear in this passage that we are not just to rush into this hastily. We need to, the Bible says, examine ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, it says, a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So every time we take the Lord's Supper here at Hope, we take a few moments just to push pause and to examine, to reflect, to inspect closely between us and God. Say, what am I to examine? A couple things we wanna examine today before we jump into the Lord's Supper. The first thing we should examine is our relationship with God. Ask yourself the question, do I have a relationship with God? Do I know God? Many people think, unfortunately, that there's something magical about the bread and the cup, that it's going to give them good fortune or great luck or somebody, you know, God will be pleased with them because they came to church today and took the Lord's Supper. Let me just be honest with you. It's grape juice and bread, and it's full of gluten. It's just bread and a cup. It's not the bread and the cup that save you. It's bread and the cup that allow us to look to the person who saved us, and it's Jesus. So it's a, it's a picture, literally we hold a picture in our hands of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood for our sin, Jesus in my place. And it's us going, God, I remember and I'm grateful and I focus on who you are and what you've done for me. So if you don't know God today, in just a minute, the pastors are gonna be up here. Come talk to somebody. Listen, you don't have to have all your questions answered to come to Jesus. I had a lot of questions when I came to Jesus, but I saw an invitation that I know God was drawing me to and wooing me to, and I said yes to that invitation, and he's filled in the blanks throughout the years. For us that know God, for us who are Jesus followers, this is an opportunity for us to examine our relationship with God. Is there anything in my life that's hindering my intimacy with Jesus? Is there unconfessed sin in my life? Are there things I know that aren't right in my life? The Bible says to examine that before you approach the Lord's Supper table. It also talks about examining our relationship with others. Paul wrote this passage to the Corinthian church and there's a lot of drama going on between brothers and sisters in Christ and the Corinthian church. And so he tells them, make whatever's wrong right between you and a brother and sister in Christ before you take the Lord's Supper. So we have to ask, is there anything in your life with another brother or sister in Christ that you need to make right? I love this. Again, just by conviction, the way we do this at Hope, every time we do this, we hear stories. We get texts. We get emails of people saying, before I approached the table, I sent a text to somebody I needed to make right with. I went outside and talked to somebody. I made a call. I got up, and I went straight to that person. We've had that happen almost every time we do this, and that's good. That's us following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's us saying, God, you have called us to this. We want to make our relationships with others right before we approach your table. So our band's gonna come now, our table hosts are gonna come, our pastors are gonna come up here, there's gonna be some movement happening. And there's four things about to take place. Pastor Vance calls it worship chaos. There's four things that are gonna take place here in the next few moments. The first thing we just talked about is examination. 
Some of you are just gonna sit for a minute and just examine your heart. Have conversation with God. Ask yourself, is there anything I need to lay at the foot of the cross today? Is there anything I need to cast on my Lord who told us to cast our cares upon us because he cares for us? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there things going on in your family that you just wanna, you just wanna cast on the Lord? You just wanna spend a few moments examining your heart and life before your heavenly father. First thing is examination. Second thing that's gonna happen is intercession. That's a fancy word for prayer. We're gonna have pastors up here. I'm gonna be down here in the front. Maybe today, as we talked, you knew I need to get saved today. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to begin a relationship with God through Christ who has paid the penalty for my sin. Every week, I love it. We have people come up here and they just say, I need Jesus. Well, praise God, we were all there at one point. We just said, I don't have all my answers. I don't have all my questions answered, but I need Jesus. Maybe for some of you right now, as soon as we stand and pray to sing, you come and say, man, I need Jesus. God has whispered so delicately in my ear this morning that there's a ram caught in the thicket and he's in my place. For us who are Jesus followers, maybe there's just a lot going on. I pray with several people going through major health issues in the 815 service, spiritual burdens, family members who have gone astray, things that are happening in life that you just wanna come. We are your pastors. We'd love to pray for you. So come be prayed for in this time and we stand in just a minute. Maybe you just wanna come be prayed for whatever's going on in your life. Third thing we're gonna do is we're gonna worship through the Lord's Supper. There's tables all over the room. Just grab whatever one is closest to you. We have some table hosts there that would love to serve you the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. Remember, it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus in my place for my sin. And lastly, we're gonna praise gonna have an extended time of worship with a couple songs where we just get to sing like we got something to sing about because we do so we can shout and sing and clap and have a, a good old time here today because Jesus has conquered the grave and he gives us life so we're gonna sing after all that's gone down we're just gonna sing and stand and clap and shout to God for being so good to us today I hope you see it. The whole day, everything from baptism to the Lord's Supper to our story today to the worship, everything points to a blazing center, and his name is Jesus. That's what this whole thing's about. So we're gonna examine, we're gonna pray, we're gonna worship through the Lord's Supper, and then we're gonna sing because we have a good God to sing to. So Jesus, you're good today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the pictures in the Old Testament that you've given us that point directly to you, Jesus. God, I pray for anybody in this room right now that does not know you, Lord. Would they see today that you have provided a way out? They were never created to carry the sin burden that they're carrying. And you would like to take that burden today in Christ. You've paid the penalty. We weren't worth it, but you paid it anyways, and I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you. Would, would the believers in the place rejoice in that by taking the Lord's Supper, by seeing the person who saved them, by remembering who you are and what you've done? God, I pray for people to come be prayed over. There's people carrying burdens right now. They just need prayer for. I pray you'd lead your people now for your glory and our good. We love you, Jesus, for all that you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.